Just stop it. The run-of-the-mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women who go through hell to achieve their goals. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. Sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. This is Disruption Interruption. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Today's guest has been disrupting for 20 plus years, helping anyone who desires to express themselves through music. Since the start of the pandemic, he pivoted his brick and mortar business to an online business model, becoming now part of the digital disruption. He's a pioneer with a few arrows in his back, navigating the music industry, hitting every wall you can imagine. He's an innovative founder and he's coming to us live from New York. Please welcome our disruptor, founder CEO, Daniel Powers Jr. of Real Brave Audio. Yeah. <laughs> you actually have a badass name, right? It's Daniel Powers Jr. <laughs> Got it from my dad. Yeah. Yes. Was he musically inclined as well? He No, he, he is not musically inclined at all. Get him singing and you run away screaming, uh, that, that kind of thing. But loves music. I mean, if I didn't have his record collection, I, we, this would be a different discussion today, probably. Wow. Okay. I want to hear about that. Before we get into that, though, tell me, starting right off the bat, what is your main ingredient for disruption? I would say it would have to be uniqueness. My desire to strive for a unique service that is that you can plainly differentiate in the market. There's a lot of people that do what I do. There's a lot of musicians, there's a lot of people teaching and rightly so. There's plenty of people out there that need to teach in order to make a living. In fact, on our nonprofit side, that's kind of what we push. We have a little small nonprofit side that pushes this idea that there's folks that need to earn a living teaching music separate story but yeah i mean in order to differentiate it's important to be unique and it's hard to do that in my market so when we were faced with this situation a couple of years ago where their backs up against the wall and it was another opportunity to pivot in another direction you know that's so very interesting that you say uniqueness and that really is innovation and disruption because it's almost like an oxymoron in your industry because art itself just automatically assumes that there is uniqueness inherent in every artist, every musician. But you're saying that uh, there's a lot of people out there teaching music. There's a lot. It, there's really not a uniqueness. There's not. No, it's becoming a commodity. So you could really, I used to say you could throw a rock out the window and hit a guitarist. And it's kind of like that with teaching. It's really, if you're getting lessons from somebody, Generally speaking, and this is really just a general statement, don't want to insult anybody out there, but you're going to see a lot of the same things over and over again. And there's places like School of Rock that have popped up, which are venture capital funded, that have figured out a pretty unique idea behind teaching music. And that's why they've got 200 or whatever locations. There's a couple other that are somewhat similar. And then a little bit down the pike, or the turnpike, if you're in New Jersey, there's us. And we've got three locations, but in order to be unique, 
I decided to push what we do online because with what we were faced being shut down a couple of years ago, we were no longer unique. We had these beautiful locations. We had this wonderful service, but now we were like everybody else because we all, we all, every teacher had to go online. So I wanted to create our music studio online and that's what we did. We created a platform that is our music studio online. So it's Real Brave powered by PracticePad being the technology behind what we do. And it's been years in the making anyway, when I started this idea about 2015. And again, back up against the backs up against the wall, my back up against the wall, my funding really was able to figure it out pretty quickly. Necessity is the mother of invention, isn't it? So 2020 hit and then boom, you had to make this idea into reality. I want to get into that in a minute, but I really want to go back to the status quo because you said there is this status quo in teaching music. Now, is this just like guitar lessons and rock or is this like other instruments, other forms of music? Uh, the status quo as far as teaching is in, in this kind of vein as far as teaching one-to-one or even in groups is it's really two different things. It's either teaching from a book, right? Which is kind of like plain Jane stuff. And there's this idea of teaching goal oriented, which is pretty much the status quo. But goal, really, goal oriented. Is that what you said? Goal oriented. Yeah. There's a lot of that this day and age where somebody will say like, Hey, what do you want to learn? There's no more uh, CDs, no more tapes, no more re- Well, there's records, but there's no more tapes. Probably a good thing. <laughs> Or eight tracks, but yeah, so those are the two that's kind of the status quo. And somebody will walk into a room, somebody will sit down, and they'll use one of these two methods. And then the student will walk out, maybe practice, maybe not. We wanted to break that status quo, so we've got in our platform is a whole curriculum and a skills breakdown where you're able to create different skills for students. A skill meaning like it's a lesson plan for that student. And it is made for that student, but it's broken down and documented. So our big thing is documenting the lesson. This way, the student has a path and they can also see how far they've come. Interesting. So this status quo, I want to understand this really well. So I understand this innovation. So it was either taught from a book or goal oriented, right? And you said you wanted to break the status quo. Tell me why. What was wrong with it? I mean, what's the good, the bad, the ugly? Mainly because that's just ingrained in my DNA. If everybody's doing one thing, I kind of want to go in a different direction. Oh, yeah. Uniqueness. That's your number one. Yeah, <laughs> it really, it's just ingrained in me. It's even from as a, like, as a musician growing up. I mean, I wanted to play different music than other people. And that's good and it's bad at times. For this, I feel like it's really good. We've got market research behind it. Art is art, right? You can't really do market research on art. I guess you could, just no no longer art. So in our market research, that uniqueness is looking like it's got a tremendous market behind it. So that's exciting. What did you find in the market research that really said this uniqueness is gonna work? Like it goes against the status quo successfully. People want to learn at a pace that they choose. So that's one thing. Adults specifically like to have the convenience, especially in the big city, of learning from home. So that's another one that's pretty powerful. The homeschool market is pretty big as well. And there's a niche in there that we that I know is that needs to be filled. In fact, the homeschool market has grown like 30% in the past couple of years. There's about 5 million children being homeschooled currently. And I don't even think that's a, that's right. It's got to be more. 
because it was 3 million a couple of years ago and it grew by like 50%. So the last data that I saw was that. And I'm on a mission right now to find those 5 million students and help them learn music through a really powerful platform that really works. No, I love this mission. I have to tell you a little bit. I don't know if you know this about me, but I was classically trained on the piano growing up. Uh oh. For 11 years. Yeah. And I was a second chair in the band. I never did the marching band. I just went to practice and things like that because I was in dance and cheerleading and things like that. But I actually went, I had a teacher, a music teacher for all those 11 years. And I went to her, I started at five. I went to her house once a week. I hated it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And I had to practice 30 minutes a day. I remember that. That was torture. And my flautist came to my house for the years that did that. My teacher did. Yeah. I don't, I was never goal oriented trained. I didn't even know that was like possible. I was, this is what you're going to be trained on. So I guess that's the book. Is that right? Yep. There's a little bit of that in the book. And then it's also kind of saying, well, what kind of music do you like? Let's start with that and capture your imagination. And those are really the two major ways that people are teaching these days. And we'll take both because there's those, there's the learner that wants to, that doesn't know where they're going and the parents want them to learn like, you, you know, you were, and we're trying different things. So we'll take that route. That's one. And then the book route is nice for those people that need to hold on to that book, that tangible kind of like, this is what I'm learning and it's got steps to it. That's fine too. And then our unique route, which is the documentation which is the rating of like how far they've come in their learning and kind of like a skills map per se. So they can see how far they've come and they can always go back to there. There's no more dog eat my homework. I'm sure the dog ate your homework a couple of times. Yes, it did. <laughs> uh, there's no more, none of that. It's all in the cloud and it's easy to download if you need it. And it's also the, we've got the virtual rooms just like this. I mean, it's built into our platform. So it's not Zoom, but it's something else. That's another thing that is different. There's a lot. And I still want to stress that of virtual lessons that are in Zoom that are on Google Meet. FaceTime, but most of the development that we did was to develop our own virtual room. And that was a painstaking process, but I wanted it because Zoom is not real brave. Zoom is Zoom. So like, there's no differentiation, there's no uniqueness to Zoom. Mm -hmm. I'm just like everybody else then, me and the 50 employees that I have. So having the room, the harder path, of course, because why take the easy path? is worth it. We've got <laughs> That's you. <laughs> yeah, that's you me. Uniqueness and hardness. We should add that as your secondary yeah. ingredient. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the road to riches for me is always paved with punches in the face, and it's probably my own doing. But a huge thing that we don't really we in the beginning we tried to tell people about and get them to understand it, but it just kind of flew over people's heads. So we decided to stop that marketing and just uh, when you log in, you, you're in a room and then on the left-hand side of the page is all of the, the software stuff that we've built as well. How does the room look? I mean, like Zoom Zoom and we're on Zoom here, right? Yeah. We'll give a shout out to Zoom on this. Good job. <laughs> but how is it different with Real Brave and how does it foster people to want to learn music? Zoom is... Wonderful. I mean, it's got all the technology that you need. It boasts decent audio, assuming that you have decent Wi-Fi connection, decent video, assuming you have a decent computer. The barrier that 
you face with a Zoom call is that it's a Zoom, it's on their platform. Uh, so like what that's one differentiation. And then they have some tools that you can use in the classroom. A lot of people don't leverage it. So we train everybody here and certify them in what we do on Real Brave powered by PracticePad, PracticePad's technology. And that is a huge differentiation because there's many schools out there that have teachers uh, that work for them, but they're all using different methods, all using different apps. They're all using different experiences. And we monitor our instructors in a way that's beneficial for them. We're not like there because we really just want to, you know, stick it to them. No, we want them to be wonderful. Like they are. We try to hire people first, musicians second. And in doing so, it makes them better teachers. Getting them to understand that if they're sitting in for another instructor, it's important to look at what that person did before. And I can't tell you the, it's gotta be thousands of times I've seen it where one instructor will look at another instructor's work and go, it's not great. Like we have to work together. And what I mean is they'll look at that work and be like, yeah, that's not, let's not do that. Let's do what I want to do. It makes it hard for the student to understand what they're supposed to be doing if there's different methods. So we have one approach that everyone uses here. We train them in how to use it versus the Zoom approach, which is everyone's kind of just using maybe the whiteboard, maybe they're using this website, maybe they're using X, Y, and Z. We want to stay away from that and keep it conformed. Yeah, that actually makes sense because if you have the structure and the found, like the framework there, then the student can really learn the music. They're not being confused and taken yeah. off course by, okay, what well, now what are we doing, right? It's actually yeah. a lot of stability. I, I agree with that. You know, you have this interesting, almost like a custom tailored program that goes for each student, it seems like. I mean, you have your framework, you have things that are always going to be the same, that's very stable, right? But then you have this custom tailored curriculum for the student, mm-hmm. right? That yeah. is documented so they can see where they're going. I've seen this a lot this turn in education, mostly with private schools, but the ability to have a student learn at their own pace. Yeah. Right. That, which is yeah. really important because you have students that need a little extra help or you have guys that are really fast that are not held back. Right. How are you? That's another, definitely another uniqueness. Right. And they can actually track it. Like, what is this doing for the outcome of the students? It's working wonders for them. The ones that leverage the content that we put on there. So for instance, the videos that are created specifically for the students, that's the one thing I would say that really benefits them. They're able to log in and see custom tutorials that the teacher makes for them in one place so they don't have to look at their email and search their inbox for that email. It's all right there. If they have a question, they can message their teacher inside of it and say like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Can you do that again? And then when they meet again, they can try that one more time. They can send it, they can record themselves inside of it. Recording to me is fundamental approach for learning. That's how I learned. So I used to take a Fisher Price tape recorder and record myself as an 11 year old playing guitar. And then I would take that tape and I would put it in another tape player, play that back, and then put another tape into the Fisher Price and then play along to it and record it. I feel like recording is the cornerstone of learning and like hearing yourself back. You ever hear someone say like, I sound funny when I talk back. Yeah. A lot of people say that. So recording for every instrument is 
built into PracticePad as well. And, and this is a requirement cool. as part of the curriculum? Yeah, we, it's new. So it's a requirement, sure. But what I found over the past two years is that because something is new and works and is great, it does take time for people to take it on. There's early adopters, you know, out of the you know, a thousand or so people that are in the software now. And, and tell me about those early adopters. The early adopters are the ones that will plainly just tell you, like, this is incredible. I love this. Those are the ones that are like sending the videos back to the instructor that are in there 20 minutes before practicing to the videos that are reading the notes that are downloading the notation and reading it and practicing it beforehand. They understand the ebb and flow of the technology. And those are the ones that we're concentrating on. And th that's children, doesn't matter, adults. Yeah, I was gonna ask you, like, what are their characteristics? Are they mostly a certain age group? Is it, but you're saying it's children and adults. Are they more tech savvy or not it's, really? They have to be a little tech savvy. Yeah, they have to be willing to want to use this medium of, in, in order to learn. They may not be crazy about online learning for school, or for in general, I think adults are a little bit more open to it from my experience of from our market research, the adults are, yeah, they like to learn from home. They like to log in when it's okay. They like to have that appointment to do that, to take their lesson. I think it's going to take us a little bit more time to figure out exactly who the customer is. I know exactly who the customer is that walks through the door. I can talk about that forever, but the online one, it's developing. Because let's be honest, I'm, sh I'm sure you read the news, life is changing at a rapid pace right now, even quicker than it was prior to 2020. I feel like 2020, March of 2020 was like the pivotal moment where things changed forever, not just health-wise or politics or what have you, but economics and the future of everything, the future of work, the future of education, future of the economy it really makes you if we're talking about disruption look at your business at that moment and say am i ever gonna have the same business again and i decided no at that moment i'm never gonna have the same business again even though like some of it's come 70 percent back but and i don't regret it because i would prefer to help the student that's looking for something unique regardless <laughs> of course you would yeah so you've opened back up your three locations i take it we did and you said it's come back 70 percent 70 percent yeah the other 30 percent are those people that just don't want to go to a location anymore are they have they become your online customer there's 30 percent of our customers we lost 50 percent of our customers that in 2020 and we went into development in april of 2020 on this thing got out of early stage development in august launched the video room which is very fast but they, they never came back never came back the new york area um where are you located tampa florida new york area has not fully recovered I, there's a lot of like news about yes we have recovered and the economy is very hot but it hasn't really the service sector has not recovered yet so we recovered 20 percent of the 30 of the 50 that lost that we lost but we haven't been able to get over that hump yet uh, and so our revenue is down a little bit just because the economy has changed and our model has changed. So we've shifted. So out of the people that we have left, we've got about 20% online right now. And we're growing that. Like that's yeah. starting to grow at a rapid pace. That's good. But you're not limited to geographical location anymore. Yeah, it's not an airplane. Amazing for you. Yeah, it's amazing. It's 
a lot of competition, but there's a differentiator here. Like the competition is going to be on Zoom and we're going to have our own platform on our own website with our own internal kind of architecture that makes it much more, I think it, it leans much more for us to be successful than anybody else. And I've seen that already, like the, what we're able, how we're able to communicate with people, how our funnel works is definitely much more sophisticated. That's amazing. And you're going after the homeschool market, which I think is brilliant yep. and how it's grown. I think your challenge would be finding this market. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's literally in June. That's where I start our campaign. So I've done a lot of research and made phone calls, but uh, yeah, expos, uh, travel, I'm going to, on some trips to meet some people in the market, connections, and yeah, just getting out to that. I don't think social will be, social media will be a help, but we're not sold yet. I don't know what your experience with social media is, but I'm not sold that it's going to be the one factor that's going to help us. It's going to be a combination of social media, in-person shaking hands, getting in front of people, showing them what it, how it works, and time because it does take time for these things to work. This, yeah. this thing is overnight. Unfortunately. I would imagine the success stories from the kids on social media or the parents is something yeah. that could really help. Yeah, the stories. I, I love stories on Instagram. I love showing something that tugs at the heartstrings and not just like a, here's this person that did great kind of story. It's something that, that people really appreciate. And well, you talk about tugging at the heartstrings. I mean, schools have been notoriously cutting funding for music for, gosh, a while now, right? And from studies, I mean, it's been pretty disastrous for kids. I mean, I guess I was definitely was very blessed to have lessons and dance and like that growing up. <clears throat> My parents were always insistent upon being well-rounded. But what do you know and find and have seen from kids that learn music? That is a great question. I personally think that it's a great outlet for them to be able to express themselves. That's number one. I think that it does help in the, uh, with just a, a more, if you're talking about having students being well-rounded, having an arts education is extremely important for any child and would help with those critical thinking modes that they, that every curriculum in the United States is probably working towards right now. That's everything that you see with all sorts of like curriculum in schools is critical thinking. How does it help with critical thinking? The way that you, well, especially if you read music, the way that you're interpreting and subdividing and expressing and thinking about what's coming potentially next or inherently thinking, subconsciously thinking. Yeah, I think all those things push you towards more of a well-rounded education. And it's a shame that we're not pushing that a little bit more. Well, it is happening more. Kids do better in school when they have a music base, right? Or they have music well, programs for sure. We're finding it more. And here in, in the New York area, I've worked in the schools so. uh, districts for quite a number of years now, been in about 20 different schools doing after school programs, helping them just, have after school programs for music. And I find that it's mostly in lower income schools that have nothing. So for instance, in our nonprofit side, which is separate from all the platform stuff, we help formerly homeless children get access to music education. Wow. And that to me is, has been some of the most, some of the saddest moments, right? Just in terms of like, what are we doing? society right but also like one of the, my proudest moments because seeing someone who's never seen a violin before which is mind-blowing 
pick it up for the first time and then the joy even the parent the parent in that situation and all of the background and the tragedy that they face to be in that situation there it's not in the affluent areas it's really the lower income areas that we're seeing that it's an issue right right and what is the name it's your nonprofit, right like yeah after school rocks it's a very small project we work in one or two places so i just don't it's run by me and i just don't have enough time to do it i wish i tried to get more going a couple all pre-pandemic stuff and we were doing pretty well but i'm just i'm i'm really concentrated i have the two locations that we do for after school rocks and the formerly homeless with supportive housing it's called and the rest is on hold right now that's pretty awesome. Tell me about practice pad technology. Tell me what makes this so unique. Yeah, sure. I could bore you for a long time with that. Practice pad <laughs> is, <laughs> it was originally built in Ruby, which is not like the greatest platform. Right now, the, we completely redid it. And the, the video technology is based in Twilio. So Twilio is the go-between that powers the video technology. And the rest is just a it's, it's basically a combination effort from the developers from TechSlice who have I've hired to fix and make this what it is today. We started with a couple of different developers and ended up with TechSlice. And I'm very happy that we got to this point. It was a learning process. You know, we started in Ruby. We went through this couple of other like weird, I keep saying conglomerate, I don't know why I want to say that, but a couple other languages. And we ended up with TechSlice, the company who is now pushing the development and helping us bring it, bring Cracksped to what it is today. And I couldn't be happier. As far as like the code that they're using for right now, I don't think it's Ruby. I'm not even quite sure what it is. What do you like about it? And what do your students like about it? Like, what does it do? Practice pad? Yeah. Well, practice pad, it's got the virtual classroom in it, right? That's number one. They like the idea that I don't have to go on to the boring Google classroom and all that stuff. There's the big part of practice pad that is something that people like is the skills portion. So there's thousands and thousands of skills in there that a teacher can assign or custom make for that student right there. So like when we first started talking, there's the idea that, hey, what do you want to learn today kind of thing, right? Which is what a lot of people do when they're asking their students. If that student says, let it be by the Beatles or some Britney Spears song, I don't know. The teacher will make it right there for the student and they'll make a video. They'll say, here's the chords for this Britney Spears song. Maybe they'll take off their shirt. I don't know. So That's then, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember my piano teacher played Bohemian Rhapsody and I thought, Oh my gosh, that's amazing, right? <laughs> like, she's so cool, not. Bohemian yeah. Rhapsody is an amazing, it's just like a, an achievement in art in and of itself. I never realized it until re recently when I saw. Um, I don't think she'd ever even heard the song. She just had the music. It's like she was just playing it robotically, right? Yeah. She just, she just, she was brilliant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She just got the music out and played it. And I was like, oh my gosh, like. Yeah. It sounds like it. But yeah. what, so they can do that. So they can assign. So they have all these skills that they can assign. That's yeah, there's, there's plenty of content in there of and even just regular, like, here's how you play a chord. Here's how you play the scale. Here's how you do that. That's all baked in and can be assigned by the teacher whenever. And that's another pretty unique thing. A lot of places will use outside sources. We try to keep it inside so we can manage really the content that's going in there we want to make sure that it's we're not hit, hitting any copyrights or like any of that stuff so it's all kind of like fake book stuff that's in there so that's not 
pushing any copyright issues. Do you have basics that every student goes through? Basic skills? Yeah, every student should really go through your core essentials, whether it's like chords, right? But you want to attribute it to something that that, we, at least we try to anyway, attribute to something that they've heard before. So at least when you're telling them like for whatever song that they're learning by Taylor Swift and like they really like that song and you're showing them the you show them the chords that they learned the previous week, the week they can say like, oh, there's a purpose to this. It really does help for most people that wouldn't be able to understand this previously. There's just people that are just ridiculous musicians that they don't need that kind of, I guess, approach. So we don't really need to worry about them. It's really the, it's probably like the 80, 20 kind of rule, right? Yeah. 20% don't need the help. The 80% do. Yeah. I was in the 80%, by the way, I didn't practice at all. Oh, you didn't. Yeah. I was making practice and my mom was always around. So she would actually, if I tried to move the timer and make it less, I don't know what I was thinking when I was growing up thinking 30 minutes was not 30 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Wait a minute. That's only been 15 minutes. Like you move the timer. So what kind of instruments, any instruments can be like piano, flute, violin, guitar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's pretty, almost every instrument that's that you can probably imagine but we're focused on guitar based drums vocals guitar based drums vocals ukulele and violins another one piano is this because those are the most popular yeah and we can staff that pretty easily the other instruments i mean trombone players are few and far between a lot of brass and I would say woodwind teachers are in school anyway. So we just kind of let that go. Yeah. Oh, I have an idea for you. Remind me after the podcast. Okay. I just thought of something. I like ideas. It would actually be pretty unique. I let like me you. ask you about School of Rock, right? Sure. So they're VC funded. There's 200 locations. Like, what is what do they do? And it says School of Rock. So is it mostly just rock? Yeah, they... There was this, I forgot the gentleman that started it, and there's actually a whole documentary on him. But the idea is that like there's this core songs that everybody should learn, and they work on stage presence. Then they take you to major clubs and will have you perform and look like a rock star. It's as far as like marketing and business packaging and franchising, great job. It's well done, mostly. But there, there are drawbacks, I think, as far as like the future for them. But what, it, is it, what do you think the drawbacks are? I'm so curious. I, I think that they're going to have issues down the road. Classic rock. Classic rock is now 20, let's see, 50 years old. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Pearl Jam is 30. What happens in another 10 years? What, are kids really going to want to learn the Beatles? I don't know the answer to that. It's a challenge. It'll always be classic. It'll always be something that they'll have and do very well, but they're limited to a very kind of like a small thing. There's a lot of other kids out there that want to learn different music and in adults. Yeah, it sounds like it's, I don't really know anything about it, but it sounds like it's for aspiring performers, right? That want to. Yeah, it is. It, 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 they do it very well. I mean, as much as I hate to admit it, they do it very well. I <laughs> got it. <laughs> yes. But you know, this homeschool market, 
Ken, I'm sure there's a homeschool association or things like that. There has to be, right? There is. It's been in my back pocket. I haven't contacted yet because once I go all in on something, it's all I do. Like I'll have my three to four things I do every single day and I just have to concentrate on a few things right now before I go into that. The the move is one of them that we talked about before. But yeah, there's a few out there that we need to become very friendly with. And well, it just sounds like that the that a real curriculum could be made for the homeschool market. Yeah, within it's very there's so many grade, things you yeah. can do. What I want to go if there's anybody that even hears what we're talking about right right now and wants to discuss this, the one thing I would say is it's very flexible what we can do, and it it, it can meet at a time and place that or really the place is online, but at a time that people choose, which is so important. And as far as the, the curriculum is concerned, it, that's extremely flexible too. Just like I've worked with the 20 schools in the New York City yeah. DOE, we've had to be flexible with that. This is the same idea. What do you need? That's always what I ask. What do you need? What do you want us to do? Let's figure it out. Because the bottom line is if we benefit student, then we'll benefit from additional students down the road. Right. Well, it sounds like you're really disrupting the music education scene. And homeschool is going to just, I know it's growing exponentially. Yeah. It is. I wasn't homeschooled as a kid, but I can understand why people are choosing it. I mean, there's challenges right now. It's become very politically motivated in some ways, but I get it. I totally get it. And in terms of organizational, like the hierarchy, how we work here, we train our instructors to teach to the student, yes, they're people first, musicians second. What that means is they're more concerned about what the student needs rather than sitting there with their guitar and like showing you how awesome they are. It's about connection. It's about performance, laughter and joy, being able to have fun in the music, but also connect on different levels. I've seen instructors and students talking about anime and like how they connect on that level or student learning video game music or learning their favorite YouTube channel music. And it's gone into new directions. We have to move and disrupt that as well. Plus, pulling a baseball. Plus, we our teachers are employees. And that's another disruption that I think that I'd like to talk about if you don't mind. Yes, I do. I want to hear about that because I was just thinking about that. You could hire teachers virtually from anywhere at yes. this point, right? Yeah, you so talk can. about the teachers. Because yeah, so they have our, to have some sort of disruption themselves to even do this. I just have to say, like, one of my one of my favorite things in the world is hiring somebody and connecting with that person. One of my least favorite things in the world is hiring and connecting and, and not connecting <laughs> with that person. It's hard to find in this world right now. It's very hard to hire. But I, I in in terms of disruption, and I want to make this very clear: our teachers, our employees, there are a lot of firms out there, quote unquote firms, little tiny businesses that don't hire, they contract their teachers and they're doing a huge disservice to the economy because a couple of things happen. Number one, those places don't pay the taxes that I pay. That's number one. Number two, they're not paying the workers' comp or the disability. It's cheating the governmental systems that we have in place that help those folks down the line, whether it be disability, workers' comp, and social security. And I'm pretty fed up with this whole thing because I was lucky a long time ago when my accountant said to me, he said, listen, we were very small. We, were, we had, you know, and I get it. We had maybe, I don't know, five employees and I was mostly teaching. He's like, listen, at some point you're gonna have to start paying them as employees. You know, like I was paying them 1099 too. 
in the beginning because they were making like 50 bucks a week. It's like, we got to start doing it. So he started me down that road and I didn't see the light until recently when somebody went on maternity leave and we were able to not only help them as an employee, you know, like do something, we did something for that person, but they went on disability too for the paid family leave act. Or we did something like paid sick leave, even before it was mandatory, we were doing it. I'm helping because people were coming in sick and I was like, you know what? It doesn't make any sense. Why don't you, we'll just pay you for the day. Why don't you stay home? And people really appreciated it. Or if somebody comes in and you know, they need a week off, you'll work with them on that. And especially if they're a full-time employee, we pay very good wages on the books for our, for our staff compared to anybody else, 20 plus bucks, bucks an hour. And our teachers are getting up to almost $30 an hour. So that's a difference from the status quo. I didn't know that. It's, a, it's I can't tell you, it's a huge frustration. I'm very passionate about this. I'm about to go to Congress about this too, actually. I've got some meetings. Damn, you're but, an activist too, right? Well, I'm concerned. If you don't have a level playing field in this new world that we're about to live in, or we are living in, then what are we doing? I, you can't have somebody that's making $2 million a year doing exactly what I do and having 50 independent contractor employees where I have 50 employees paying X amount of taxes on that. You just can't do that. I'm done. I'm done with it. It's over. It's got to stop and treat your employees well, right? And you, <laughs> that path that I was talking about, like you'll stop getting punched in the face because I live for these people that work here. I want them to do well. I, they're not getting in my way. These, without the people that work here, if we don't treat them well, forget it. Like it's impossible. And, and I've learned over the years that it's that they are the ones that make Real Brave what it is. I give the vision, right? I'm the one that supplies the systems and the leadership. And we have people that are facilitating that, obviously, and then following along. But we still need those people. Right. And those people and they're speaking and they've got a lot of power today. So we want to make sure that we're in, empowering them to go on in their life. Because this is one thing that I really want to make clear is in, in every single interview that I do for every single person, I always tell them like everything that we do together is about working together. And as long as we're on a parallel path and you're talking to me, communicating with your managers, communicating with your program manager about what you're supposed to be doing, whether you're a teacher or someone that works at the desk. As long as we end up leaving together, high-fiving each other, then we have successfully fulfilled the mission here, which is helping people find their stage. You know, so one aspect of that is treating them as an employee. And that's disruption that I think that is necessary, very passionate about it, of for, not that I'm like excited about paying taxes, nobody likes it, but <laughs> it's well, there important. is a responsibility in it, and I do get it, but I didn't know that that was disruptive in your industry, but it makes sense. Yes. Because they have to buy into the mission, and you're helping everyone find their stage. Is that, wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah find your stage. It's a trademark slogan here. You know, if I had had that purpose and given a purpose when I was younger through all of this training, I think I probably would have stayed with it. I'll go back in time. I'll create a time machine that's <laughs> unique. And I'll find you. talk to my former teacher, Margaret Rashi. <laughs> I still I'll remember her. her. She was very eccentric. She had very thick glasses. She had a, a black hair bowl cut. She was like, yeah, very eccentric. But she was a great teacher, I have to say. Yeah, she did not. She did not, though, tell me to help me find my stage. <laughs> no, she probably wrapped you in your fingers. It's like, practice. <laughs> Right. 
Yeah, she was one of those overly brilliant people. Yeah, I do remember yeah. her. But I but she stuck with me. Music teachers stick with you. Yes, you know, it's a timeless, priceless thing. I mean, that's that's kind of inherent and it should be something that once people get that, the good teachers get that. The ones well, that music are is timeless. It is something that communicates through all yeah. generations, all races. It's definitely transferable. One thing that drives me, I guess, how do I say this is because I'm a parent, I have three kids. So like I get it, my, my kids have started and stopped things and we really try to help them along in their process and whatever they do. But what drives me a little nuts is when someone says, well, my, my child's not practicing, but they've only been here for two months. And then we're gonna stop, they don't really, they don't really wanna do it. I think some people forget that this is a process, right? And I would never like, it's not like I'm gonna run out of my, my office and yell at them. It's just kind of like, man, if you gave it a year, I know it's a huge investment, but they're never gonna forget it. Ever. Yeah. It's price. They it's should have had my mother. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know it's if priceless. she was sadistic or not, but I had 30 minutes a day. Uh, whether I wanted to or not. Like I was actually really good at it. Oh, by the way, we had competitions like every year or, or maybe multiple times a year. I have lots of like little trophies. We did chords and scales and I just did whatever they told me to do. Do they still have those anymore? Like yeah. piano recitals. And then we had to go before judges. And I was like, we had to play something and then I had to pay chords and scales. And I, you know, do they do that? We do concerts here. We've got a built-in stage at each location. We don't do trophies. I don't believe in that for you know attendance. But there are like well, no, yeah, we had first, second, and third place. There's state-run stuff like NISMA in New York State is one of them where you would go in front of a bunch of people, a bunch of angry people that would tell you like you're not good. And then yes, <laughs> yes, they were pretty scary judges. <laughs> <laughs> do you have? Can you have concerts on Real Brave Audio? Can you have? recitals and things like that we could it's not a thing that i feel is something that anybody wants we do what we'll record on zoom actually ironically um ironically. we'll record the shows on zoom and broadcast it out our rooms on real brave in the the virtual rooms we can only have two people attend at once got it yeah. Well, I really hope that you blow up, that you continue to blow up. I know that you're growing. Tell me what your plans are for the next few years. I know you're going to take over the homeschool market, but yeah, this year plans? you're very methodical. I am. Goodness gracious. Tell, tell, uh, tell my wife that I'm going to spend the rest of this year on in expos, conferences, meetings galore, uh, going out there and showing people what this is and a significant click campaign and and all that is in the works you know nurturing and all the funnel stuff and that's really 2022 is just a lot of that i've got three trips planned already for june and july and august there's a, there's a few as far as 2023 that depends on 2022 we've got a couple of pitch competitions for to raise some money i was going to ask you are you interested in venture capital i'm interested in it not, we don't need it though it just depends on like what I think it really depends because we're activating the consumer side of the market. We're not activating the business side. So it depends on how the market responds. My goal is to have 10,000 students in the software, which means we need 500 instructors at, the, at a bare minimum. Totally doable because we can hire anywhere from anywhere around the world. But it's a matter of getting that out there. If, for those that are listening or watching that understand any sort of marketing uh, lingo, the cost per acquisition right now for a click customer is very high. 
it's hundreds of dollars and uh, you can't grow a business that way currently. No, you can't grow a business that way. No. It's, it's really hard. It's nice to get it out there. And there's definitely like, we're saturating the market with who we are and what we do, but whew, it's extremely difficult. Boots on the ground approach is this year. And then next year we'll just revisit once the recession hits. Let's stay out of that area. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel, tell me what you were like as a little boy growing up. You said that if it wasn't for your dad's records, you would not be on this path. Yeah. What records. What happened? My father is a music buff. He loves music. He had a bunch of just probably hundreds of records in the basement of our house. And I used to just listen to the Beatles and everything. My, as far as Mia as a kid, I loved uh, baseball and music. I had a choice. Hence the baseball. Yeah. I mean, I, have it I on love my it when dots are connected for me. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you do? You did both or you said, how I was did. Baseball? I love music. I love music. I, uh, the first, I went to see a movie with my dad. He took me to see La Bamba. Remember that movie? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Richie Valens. And I wanted to play guitar right after I saw that. I got lessons and I got lessons at a local place in Flushing, New York, but I played baseball uh, up until about 16 and I was 16 years old. I was playing music at the same time in a band. I was 16 years old. I went to my baseball practice, long hair, army boots and an army jacket and my coach said to me powers baseball or music and i looked at him and i was like music man he's like all right man no problem but the benefit is i passed that love down to my son i have two daughters and a son my daughters love music my son loves music too but he's he's a pretty good baseball player so i've gotten to to coach him and pass down that love to him too so the good thing the thing about baseball that i love is it's a very passionate sport like soccer and in that way, so it's a beautiful kind of merging of two very different things. It's very cool. Yes, that is very cool. It's a very interesting story. What do you do outside of work now? Like, what are your crazy passions or do you have any? Sleep. <laughs> Sleep? Yeah, sleeping is, is a passion. My house, I really love to just... To, to have a nice home environment and do a lot of house projects. We have three kids, so it's busy with traveling with the kids, sports. My daughter's going to college next year, help me. And that's this coming year, but going to college. she's gonna be a senior in high school, so that's happening. Yeah, I, I would say like that's, we've, we've got a, a wonderful neighborhood where we live in New Jersey. Just, uh, yeah, it, living the dream, I guess. That's awesome. So kids, sleep, sleep's number one. Then kids Please. and do-it-yourself projects. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, how do people get a hold of you? Where do they find you? Go to realbraveaudio.com. First of all, to check us out. That's realbraveaudio.com. You can also just email me, dan at realbraveaudio.com. Pretty easy. And I can even give my phone number out too if they want. Sure, let's do that. Yeah. Some guys do. Yeah, I mean, text is best. So 347-239-3013. Any questions, thoughts, perceptions, brilliant ideas. If you're disappointed by anything I said, you can let me know as well. That's all right. <laughs> you're certainly brave. Real yeah, brave yeah. audio. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's where that comes from. It's getting out there and being yourself. Yeah, that's actually a really good point because that is all part of art getting out there and being yourself, but it takes bravery. That's for sure. Yeah. I, 
my journey as a musician to where I am today, because I mean, we didn't really talk about it, but I was a musician for a very long time up from like at that moment where I told my boss, my boss, my baseball coach, Hey, no, I'm going to, I was in bands after that. And I decided to not go to college and be in bands and traveled with a band, met my wife traveling and came back here and played in subways and recorded bands and did whatever I could. I wrote music for other people, played for a very long time, and then ultimately was able to create this business after writing hundreds of songs, got nominated for a Grammy. Lots of really cool things. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But ultimately, listen, this thing is the best, Real Brave is the best song I've ever written. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Mic drop. Boom. I love that. Daniel, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. You are welcome. That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today or laughed, go tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets with a little tidbit from the show. Thank you for listening to the Disruption Interruption podcast, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal, healthcare, or financial advice or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal situation or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links do not create an agency-client relationship between Joto PR and the user.